kingdom and church are not equivalent terms. They're overlapping terms. The church is included within the kingdom reign and healing reign of God, but they're not equivalent terms. Welcome to Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast, a broadcast where the faculty of Mid-America discuss everything from Reformed theology, cultural issues, and all things seminary. This is episode 81, and I'm your host, Jared Luchibor. Thank you for tuning in. In part one of Dr. Beach's series on the kingdom of God, he offered a biblical sketch of what the Bible means by the kingdom of God. In part two of this survey last week, he traced out how the coming of Jesus Christ brings the definitive reestablishment of the kingdom of God. That is, it brings his reign of fellowship and healing. The coming of the kingdom of God ushers forth Christ's redemptive and restorative rule over the estranged and broken creation. In this third and last installment of this series, he addresses the question surrounding the relationship between the church and the kingdom of God, and given that, how Christians should live in the world as citizens of God's kingdom. Here's Dr. Beach. Are church and kingdom the same entity? And believers ask themselves, what is the kingdom, this reign of God? They confront a multifaceted topic, even though this theme is prominent in the Bible. The church has never really reached agreement about what it is, when it comes, and how it's expressed. In fact, some have argued that the kingdom of God has fully arrived. Others have maintained it's holy in the future. It's never yet come and still is to come. And that uh, second view looks for the kingdom to arrive with Christ's second coming. And among those who espouse that view, some reduce the kingdom of God to a holy, spiritual, heavenly realm, a a heavenly arena that has nothing to do uh, currently with this earth. And others view it as the millennial reign of Christ upon the earth, which precedes the final cataclysmic battle between God and Satan. Then there's uh, others who have taught, who have identified the kingdom of God with the institutional church. Augustine espoused a view like this. There's been those within the Reformed tradition who've taken uh, a mild uh, version of that view. Uh, But I don't agree with that. Louis Burkhoff, I think, rightly observes the following, quote, The Reformers discussed the idea of the kingdom of God in an incidental and fragmentary way rather than in a systematic manner, and the church of the immediately following centuries followed in their footsteps, end quote. That's from his book, The Kingdom of God, and I think he's right in that observation, It has taken time for us to come to more mature thinking about the reign, the kingdom of God in this redemptive, restorative way. Take, for example, the Westminster Confession of Faith. It calls the invisible church the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's chapter 25, 2. And, of course, the question here is whether the confession, the Westminster Confession, intends to demarcate the whole meaning and content of kingdom of God is directly identified with the church. In other words, is 
the is mentioned there, an is of identity, so that church and kingdom are equivalent terms. Or whether instead the confession only intends an is of, of attribution, in which case the phrase the visible church is the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ means the church is an expression, it's a manifestation, an aspect of the kingdom of God. I think the latter view seems quite preferable, especially when you look at question and answer 191 of the larger catechism, where in setting forth the meaning of the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, Thy Kingdom Come, there we discover that the kingdom involves, yes, to be sure, very explicit ecclesiastical activities, including the propagation of the gospel, furnishing the church with faithful office bearers, the administration of the sacraments, and all such things. But as part of this program, God enlists the civil magistrate and exercises his kingship of power, his providential sovereignty, to best serve these ends. And God also aims for more than the building of the church, such that in that catechism, to pray for God's kingdom to come is also to pray for the destruction of the kingdom and dominion of Satan. And that's not to be limited to the ecclesiastical aspects or spheres of life. And what is more, to continue with the larger catechism, in expositing the meaning of the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this catechism teaches us that this petition includes our plea that God would, according to his grace, make us able and willing to know, to do, and to submit to his will in all things. Well, that's what's pivotal. The doing of God's will, the coming of his kingdom in Jesus Christ includes the whole scope of life. It includes all things within the creation. And thus, uh, kingdom and church are not equivalent terms. They're overlapping terms. The church is included within the kingdom reign and healing reign of God, but they're not equivalent terms. So it's important, I think, we keep this distinction in mind. Speaking of catechisms, the Heidelberg Catechism offers this exposition of that petition. Rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you, keep your church strong, there's the ecclesiastical, add to it, destroy the devil's work, destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your word. Do this until your kingdom is so complete and perfect that in it you are all and all. Well, now, the devil's work is as wide as creation and curse. And so the kingdom of God, the reign that heals and restores, aims to destroy the devil's work in all of created life, to mitigate that curse evidenced in the healing works of Jesus. And this touches marriage, it touches your parenting, it touches uh, societal relationships, social justice issues. There's a biblical way you can apply that. Economic and political policies, uh, education and its legitimate academic disciplines, business life, uh, all of life for the kingdom of God, this reign of God, to come is for the devil's work to be destroyed wherever it's found. 
And that work is disintegrating marriages, brutal and negligent parenting, wicked social structures, oppressive ideologies, false religions. It goes perverted uh, political policies, educational programs. It goes on and on. Greedy, harmful business practices. Thy kingdom come comes to say, yes, let the rain that undoes all that come. Why wouldn't a Christian want to say that, and why would they resist saying that? Well, perhaps one reason for resistance is they don't want the claims of Christ all over their lives. Come into my heart, but not into my business life or into my marriage. Maybe it's because uh, they're not truly submitting to Christ as the king. One thing we know, though, to enter the kingdom, we must receive it like a little child, which means we must come to him in trust, in weakness, in dependency. So what's not being said in all of this is we do it, we accomplish it, we're the agents, and we have the might and the strength and the authority to make it so. No, the church as the hub, the theological hub, the driving image of kingdom equips the saints in the truth of the gospel and of Christ and his reign and then we do the best we can, applying the wisdom we can obtain and an understanding of the created order to live alongside human beings to show them why live under the sway of the devil when you can live under the sway of the Messiah and under the life-restoring reign that he uh, offers us. And so, yes, we do pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, heaven's a swell place to be under the reign of God, and so we pray for this to happen in the earth. I think Louis Burkhoff says it well when he says that the kingdom is closely related to the church, though not altogether identical to it. Indeed, as Redeemer, he as Savior, Christ is prophet, priest, and king. And what's important for us to see particularly in relationship to his work as king, is there's no signs that may properly be erected in front of a school or a business or any other valid piece of creation. No signs that can announce Christ the Redeemer has no claims here. You're entering a no-Christ zone. What absurdity. The one for whom all things were made. The one by whom all things were made. The idea that life, human life, the life he entered into to redeem, promising even a new heaven and a new earth, how uh, despicable, really, to say there's a no Christ zone in his creation. So it's important that we distinguish church and kingdom while we keep them united in their part of the, the same team under the, the, the same work. But what this does mean is we do not de-Christianize parts of life, but understand that all comes under uh, the reign of the God through whom all things were made, the Christ through whom all things were made. And very practically, this means, say you're a plumber, say you study philosophy, and you go out for workouts for your body, or you're writing an English paper, maybe you sell paint for a living, what this means is Christ's claims on believers brings implications to their calling. 
doesn't mean you turn all these duties into a doesn't mean you, you you turn all these duties into a witness time. That the way you're Christian out in the world is you are constantly asking people to get saved by Jesus. It means that you live life in all of its ordinariness. Is the ordinary is under the Christ. That's ordinary. What's what's extraordinary, what's fallen, is that he's displaced and something else rules in his place. So there is no such thing as no Christ zones that are outside his jurisdiction. Now, what about the present scope of the kingdom? Well, here I have to be briefer than I'd like, but I will be. Let it be emphasized that the first and central task of the church, the church's mission, is to propagate the gospel for the conversion of the lost, for the further building up of the already converted. That needs to be jealously championed. Let it be said that it's not the duty of the institutional church to uh, displace the work of Christians out in the world. It's not the point that because we believe in the reign of Christ over all of life, it's the church as an institution and its office bearers, its preaching, that it gets lost in the vast domain of public life and politics and so on. That's quite far from accurate. Christ's saviorship and lordship, however, are not limited to the vital ministry of the institutional church. In fact, equipped from the gospel, we go forth to live in the world. Some people are farmers. Some people are lawyers or engineers or have various trades, the culinary arts. Some people are involved in politics. Some people coach or athletes. And where we live life as fathers and mothers and grandparents and siblings, and we we have co-workers wherever we go, and we belong to clubs and organizations in which we know other people too. What we don't do is act as if I can my Christianity's on hiatus here, uh, that my Christian faith is is. Uh, on shore leave, and now I, I don't live under the reign of this Christ. No, Christ's saviorship is never so limited. His kingship is comprehensive. So back to the question, the present scope of this kingdom. Well, one thing that's very clear is Christ's saving work may not be cordoned off from the width and breadth of life or restricted just to church life or to Sunday, that's very far from saying that the Christian, as he or she goes forth into the world and tries to live to the honor of God and under the authority of Christ, that all that they th say, think, and do is truly manifesting his reign. No. But we do know that the devil would try to manifest his reign, if ever so discreetly, we do know that out of the heart are the issues of life. We do know the heart directs the whole person. Biblically, we know that. And so what is fundamental is your heart disposition and your heart direction. Uh, Jeremiah 17, I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart. The Lord looks on the heart, First Samuel 16. And that's why believers are urged above all else to guard their heart to take heed to their heart. And this is why uh, believers confess their sins in thought, in word, and deed. 
Jesus Christ lays claim to lives, lays claim to hearts. And when Christ reigns in our heart by his word, we pursue a life of obedient gratitude in the whole of human life. At church, in worship, fellowship. It's easy to sin there, too. It's easy to worship and attend a sermon unrighteously and not come under the reign of Christ, just as it is at, at work in any given field, in a laboratory, on the golf course, a bowling alley, on a ski slope. Uh, there's all kinds of ways where we can divorce Christ or include him, submit to him wherever we're found in whatever our endeavor and this is liberating, not oppression. Uh, this brings love for God and love for our neighbor under Christ, not absent him. And so we do our best, knowing that the victory belongs to God in his own good time. And what it means then, present scope of kingdom of God, is we simply don't abandon the field to the enemy. Not if we're able to resist, and not all Christians can, where they live or the, the regime they live under, the, the, the government they live under. But we do try to obey as best we can wherever we are. Will our obedience be frail, faltering? Will it have faults? Absolutely. But you don't conclude from that, therefore don't bother. That's the same as saying, well, will the preaching have flaws and failures? Therefore don't preach. Will, will our parenting have, therefore don't parent. This is so absurd, this, this conclusion that people reach that because we can't have victory in public life or over cultural affairs or education or science or whatever a field of endeavor is, don't bother. Just hide in a, huddle and hide in a corner and let the devil have his way. No, if we can, where we can, and not all Christians have these opportunities, but if we can and where we can, we enter public life to make a difference in education or business or political realms. Because D-Day has come and V-Day awaits. So, as Christ's people, we declare war for human hearts against the devil. We use the gospel. We proclaim the gospel. We make disciples. And meanwhile, we do not allow Satan to say, but you can have the rest. You can have, you can lay claim over public life and cultural affairs and education and every other endeavor. We lay down the sword of the spirit. It's yours. Have your way, devil. No, if we can resist, we do. And where God gives us opportunity, we must. For the reign of God honors him, where we come, we bring life under the reign of the Christ who brings us under his reign. He lays claim to our places, our vocations, our talents, our abilities, to everything, because all creation is from him and for him. No area of life has been left unadulterated, and so no area of life to be given over to the devil when we can reclaim it in Jesus' name. And so to conclude, then, we're in a mighty war, a mighty battle. We face uh, so many short uh, false starts, setbacks, but in artistic aspirations, scientific aspirations, economic labors, business practices, Lord, may you receive the glory because it all belongs to you because I do.
The scope of the kingdom of God is a matter of the heart which directs all of life. Jesus Christ, who redeems us by his blood, is the king, and therefore he claims our hearts, and in so doing, he claims all life. I hope you've enjoyed this series with Dr. Beach on the kingdom of God. You know, the goal of Mid-America's podcast is that it would first and foremost be of service to the church. So I appreciate all the feedback and comments from you, our listeners, as to how this platform is a help to you, your family, and your church. If you'd like to reach out and drop clues as to what you'd like to hear from our faculty next, you can contact me at jluchibor at midamerica.edu. That's J-L-U-T-T-J-E-B-O-E-R at midamerica.edu. Or call me at 219-200-1368. Next week, I have the pleasure of inviting Dr. Marcus Minninger to the microphone. Dr. Minninger serves as Mid-America's Professor of New Testament Studies. And with that, he'll kick off a series of episodes on the New Testament, beginning with a discussion on optimism and pessimism. As we anticipate our Lord's return, will things get better or worse for Christians? Stay tuned for Dr. Minninger's answer next time. For more episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts and wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reformed Seminaries Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.